Welcome to Tales from the Fourth Trimester, a podcast dedicated to the beauty and brutality of new motherhood. I'm your host, Naomi Krisalakis, and I'm a postpartum doula and cook in Sydney, Australia. My service, Cocoon, provides good food and a helping hand for new mummers. Join me as I chat to women about what happened after they brought their baby home and interview experts for their wisdom, because giving birth is just the beginning. Today I have Jess on the podcast. Jess is a mum of one and she's got another one on the way. And I wanted to do a quick intro just to let you know that there are a couple of topics in this episode which might be considered triggering for some listeners. So we talk about Jess's birth and resulting birth trauma, postnatal depression and anxiety, and suicidal ideation. We then talk about how, with the help of a counsellor, Jess was able to link her birth trauma right back to a sexual trauma. I think that these are conversations that are really important to have uh, in general, but particularly at the moment, we're hearing so much about sexual assault and sexual violence uh, in all kinds of places. And I think it's very interesting to look at this through the lens of birth and postpartum and how, as Jess puts it, the body keeps the score uh, and birth brings up, birth unearths so much stuff. Um, and for Jess, it certainly unearthed some things that she hadn't resolved. Um, it has a happy ending and we don't go into any, uh, graphic details or anything like that, but I just wanted to let you know in case that was something that, um, that might be triggering for you. So a big thank you to Jess for sharing so generously with me. Um, it's not an easy thing to talk about. Um, but yeah, she's, she's about to have another baby and she's in a completely different place now. So big thank you to Jess and enjoy the episode. Jess, thank you so much for giving up your Saturday morning to have a chat to me today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Okay. So my name's Jess. I live in Brisbane um, in a little suburban pocket. Um, I have a three-year-old son, Xavier, and a husband, Michael. Um, and we, yeah, before, well, sorry, I'm already running out. Um, we, I, I work part-time. I spend most of my week with Xavier. Um, and I work two days a week, uh, just in a big public hospital here at the PA at the, in Brisbane at the PA hospital, um, just in administration. So before I had Xavier, I sort of had finished my honors in psychology just before I got married and I sort of had a break to get married. Um, and then I ended up falling pregnant immediately after my wedding. Um, and so that little break has turned into a sort of a about a five-year break. <laughs> so my my sort of ultimate um, career focus was going to be um, becoming a psychologist, but I'm sort of in a bit of limbo at the moment. So I'm, my main focus is my family and my son at the moment. Um, and I do have a, a view to go back to study masters when 
you know, when, yeah, in the next couple of years, I would say. I'm currently pregnant with number two. So uh, I guess that's also put another speed bump in the master's (laughs) plan. um, But that's all fine. It was always my plan to have babies. And I always felt that I would happily pause my career to do so. Um, I I sort of started my career as as, as a uh, interior designer and then flipped. So that's sort of why I'm now mid thirties, halfway through my study. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's always been, like I said, it's always been my plan, but having said that, I would say it's a lot harder than I realized giving up a big chunk of what you were wanting to do. Uh, So I know, yeah, I'm sort of starting to feel like I'd really like to get back into something soon. Mm. Um, And I might have to be with a baby in tow, which could be very difficult. (laughs) (laughs) But not impossible. I've sort of found that every time I've had a baby, not that I've had that many, I've only had two, but every time I've had a baby, it's totally shifted how I yeah. see work, what I want to do. Even this time around where I thought I was like, I went from being a journalist to a postpartum doula. And now this time around I've gone, I'm still planning to be a postpartum doula, but I'm just like, Oh no, I want to completely change the way that I work. So yeah. That's good to hear because I do, I feel like I chop and change a lot. Even now I'm thinking, Oh, is psychology really for me because you know, I'm so drawn to all these holistic mode, models of care. And I'm quite alternative in, in my, you know, I, I really value naturopathy and acupuncture and all these really lovely alternative um, healthcare models. So I'm just psychology. I feel I worry that that's going to be a bit rigid and, uh, you know, we just have to one foot forward. You just have to take it, you know. Exactly. So you mentioned that you fell pregnant. Um, was it straight after you got married? How, how quickly did you, did you get pregnant? Yeah. Within a month, I would say, I would say probably, technically within a couple of weeks. So honeymoon, um, honeymoon baby. Yeah. Yeah. Relaxed and happy post wedding. Um, yeah, that was not really the plan. So we had, um, I was always really wanting to get pregnant pretty much straight away. I, as soon as we got engaged, I said, Oh, can we have babies? But we decided, um, so we got married in March. We had our Italian honeymoon booked for August. So, um, we had sort of agreed that we would wait until after our honeymoon um Mm. and i sort of thought okay i'll I'll wait patiently because you're right you know traveling while pregnant isn't particularly ideal it's it's not the worst thing but um obviously sickness and if anything were to go wrong or you know just lots of factors to consider so we had said that um we kind of just took a bit of a calculated risk one off um you know as you do and we were so incredibly lucky that we fell pregnant that time. Um, and yeah, I, I did not expect that, you know, you spend your whole life trying, not your whole life, but yet from, from, you know, <laughs> yeah, from pretty, it's been about what, 20 years or so of, of trying to not fall pregnant. And then, yeah. uh, then all of a sudden you are pregnant uh, the yeah. first time. So yeah, I certainly didn't expect that. Um, but I did feel at the time, like I'd had some friends who, um, had had a lot of trouble and I just felt, I just, from the minute we fell pregnant, I felt really lucky. I didn't sort of, neither of us were upset that we'd, it had happened so soon or that it would, you know, mean that our holiday uh, was going to look a little different. We were both mm-hmm. uh, just, we were both really happy. And, and I'd sort of, I sort of knew because it was a calculated risk, I'd sort of 
calculated in my mind if, if we were to fall pregnant it's you know it's not we'll yeah, be in our right. middle yeah. second trimester traveling and um it won't be it won't be the end of the world so um yeah so that's when we saw pregnant baby was the pregnancy reasonably smooth it was i was really lucky with my pregnancy um i had a lot of tiredness in the first trimester which was hard to uh, work i was working full-time at, the, at that point um so a lot of tiredness i just sort of have to sleep I, I remember i'd go down and sleep on like a little park bench down underneath my work building because no one knew at that point that i was pregnant um for i just have a 20 minute nap and i'd set my alarm and then I'd, I'd come back up <laughs> as if nothing had happened um, <laughs> because I needed it. I just couldn't, I couldn't continue through the day and that little 20 yeah. minute nap just really got me through. And then I'd come home and sleep, wake up for dinner and then sleep again. So I was really exhausted in the first trimester. That was very hard, but I didn't really have any nausea or vomiting, um, which was really great. Uh, and then second trimester, yeah, I just felt, felt pretty fabulous. Um, Travelled to Italy during that period um had a few problems with low blood pressure which is you know obviously a good thing like my ob said um but it just meant that i had a few near faint fainting episodes and um it kind of hit me quite hard because i had a, a few moments where i nearly blacked out um which mm. is scary when you're pregnant mm. and then um and then third trimester i was fine i was i was heavily pregnant through summer so my xavier was due 6th of jan so um Brisbane summers are pretty, pretty sweltering. Uh, so we, you know, 30 to 35 degree days. Um, so we luckily had a pool at that point. I was in a rental that had a pool. Um, and so I sort of spent a lot of my afternoons in the pool just floating. Um, but yeah, other than that, no, I was, I was really lucky with pregnancy. Yeah. yeah um, did you do any preparation for um, postpartum while you're pregnant? Um, not really, not really, to be honest. And I think that that's probably a pretty classic mistake of first. first oh yeah. Parent. That was me too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm alone. Yeah. Um, no, not really. I, I definitely, I did a bit of reading about the birth as we, you know, that tends to be the classic story that we prepare for the birth and we think about the birth, but then we don't really think about how it's all going to unfold when we go home. I did have, um, my mother-in-law and my mother come to each day for a week. So that was really helpful. Um, and I had pre-planned that, I think, um, right. just because I, I guess maybe I just knew that more help the better. My husband was only able to take two weeks of paternity leave. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I would pre-planned that. But other than that, I didn't really have any meals prepped. I didn't sort of think about... Well, yeah cleaning service all the services that you can sort of tee up I didn't yeah no I didn't really think a lot about the uh the transition to parenthood or I was very unprepared for that <laughs> so so classic that's I think yeah. what everyone yeah. does <laughs> unless, you, unless you're lucky enough to have been told by someone to do things a bit differently tell us about the birth uh, okay so um I sort of went in I didn't really have a birth plan. I, I was going through a private obstetrician um, and that choice was sort of based on a GP recommend. Like I just did, I wanted continuity of care um, and I, I just sort of felt that that was the best choice with, you know, that I didn't really have much knowledge in terms of models of care. So I went through private obstetric setting, um, really liked my obstetrician. He's really great. 
Um, and then, but I'd sort of said, uh, you know, my birth preference, I guess, was the best way to put it. I, I didn't have a birth plan, but my birth preference was natural, you know, minimal intervention, that sort of thing. But I said all of that without really understanding what interventions look like, what, you know, what, what I would do with each decision that had to be made, all of those things. Again, so much has been learnt. <laughs> now that I'm pregnant again, I'm doing a lot of reading. Um, but I sort of just wanted things to kind of progress as naturally as possible. I knew I'd read Juju Sundin's um, birth skills. I, yeah. So that was pretty much the only preparation I'd done. And so I knew I wanted to labour at home for as much as possible to try and get things going, move around, all of those sorts of things. I just wanted to be active um, and try and get that baby um, in a good position. So uh, my waters broke um, before I started laboring, which I have since discovered is, is not a usual progression of things and not the best necessarily, not necessarily bad, but um, it, it could kind of start the domino effect of what my birth eventuated, um, how my birth eventuated. So um, waters broke and I just got a huge amount of adrenaline. I just sort of thought, this is it. Oh my gosh, it's all happening. Mm-hmm. had to go into hospital um, to get checked out and then went back home. Um, nothing was really happening yet. And then I started to get some mild contractions um, and again, thought, okay, this is, you know, just like the, just the really early stuff. Tried to get some sleep because my waters broke um, at 11 o'clock at night. So I tried to get some sleep that night after coming home from the hospital and really didn't. I mean, it's, I was just, I was just so nervous and excited and, you know, it was my first birth. I didn't, I just sort of couldn't sleep, which was unfortunate because now I know how important that rest would have been (laughs) (laughs) again. Um, And so then it sort of just slowed down in the morning. I think they were about 10 minutes apart, my contractions, and then I just sort of slowed down to a complete halt by the morning. Um, And I was just, you know, I was trying to move around a lot. I was on the fit ball. I was doing everything I could try and do to get things started. Um, Around midday the next day, we went in again, to talk to the midwife and they said, look, you know, if things don't progress maybe by tonight or tomorrow morning, um, we could look at induction because they don't let you, um, if your waters are broken, um, I don't know what it's like in public, but in private obstetric setting, they don't let you go over 24 hours. Mm. Um, they don't like you to. Uh, so we, this, at this point, this was New Year's Eve. <laughs> so we had decided, um, that because my obstetrician had a whole bunch of uh, cesareans booked for the following morning, apparently everyone wants to give birth on New Year's Day. I didn't realise this. Um, not 100% sure uh, why now that I've got a no. New Year's Day baby. The chaos of uh, New Year's. But, um, yeah, so we decided to get induced that night if things hadn't started. And and then we went home again and they just didn't. So we, we ended up in hospital 8 o'clock New Year's Eve. Um, to get the induction. So we got the syntocin drip and um, that sort of just ramped things up as it does zero to a hundred. Um, mm. After a few hours, I sort of had really intense contractions. I was using yeah. a TENS machine. I didn't get um, that. The TENS machine. Sorry. Oh, that's no, no, that's my, um, that was just my Apple watch deciding to listen in on our conversation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> At first, I thought you were saying you hadn't got a tens machine. <laughs> no, I do. Ha- I did have. A t- <laughs> They're really good, but uh, I feel like with St. Joseph, not going to do a hell of a no, lot. They got me through. Look, they got me through about 
I can't even remember, but I would say maybe three or four hours. And by that point, I was thinking, oh, I must be really far along because these contractions are intense. Like I would say a couple of minutes apart, you know, just couldn't really yeah. talk through them. Couldn't, couldn't do anything through them. And I was on the fit ball the whole time. And then the minute I stood up, I tried to stand up at one point and I couldn't. And I thought, I, mm. like, I need to stay on this fit ball. <laughs> um, I can't move. And so I started to, um, I started to get pretty fatigued. I was, it had only been, because I'd been on the fit ball the whole time bouncing around, which is, again, I don't know, in hindsight, you never know if these decisions were the best. But um, I, my legs started to shake. I was getting quite fatigued and I got examined mm. and I was only two centimetres. So oh. I, yeah, that was really, that was the first of the sort of blows. You're like, okay, great. Um, so that was disheartening. And I, I, I think at that point, because I was fatiguing so much and feeling really, you know, like I was struggling with the pain, um, I decided to get an epidural because I thought I'm not going to make it if I don't. I'm just going to be so exhausted. I'm not going to be able to push this baby out if this is how slowly it's progressing. Uh, so at that point, I got an epidural. And then um, obviously, once I got the epidural, the, everything felt a lot more relaxed. And I was yeah. uh, in the bed and they were just monitoring me. Um, baby's heart rate was sort of variable. But I think that that can be normal when you've had the syntocin drip and the epidural, I think. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, they sort of, I was sort of dozing and I could hear the midwife sort of, they were talking really quietly, but there was a little bit of concern in their voices. So I, I don't think I really slept either because I was just nervous. I think all of these mm. things just made me feel a bit stressed because um, I wasn't 100% sure that things were okay. And I, I'm not sure that I just, at that point, definitely not through my first birth did I feel empowered enough to sort of stand up and advocate and say hey what's actually going on you know um yeah. maybe doing things a bit differently next time around um and it's not to say that they weren't keeping me informed it's just i guess they didn't know i could i was sort of listening in and worrying mm. um and and i didn't feel comfortable sort of you know interrupting them and saying can you come and talk to me so um i, I can't remember how long that lasted but i i was you know, I was, I think a few, several hours had passed. My obstetrician was on call. So he was sleeping, um, on site. And so he hadn't actually examined me and they were, um, they were examining me and I really wasn't progressing very far. And then finally he came down to the ward at about, I think 8am and he did a full examination and the look on his face, he just, his face sort of just dropped. Um, and he said, look, you're only five centimetres. And I think at this point I'd been labouring for 12 hours from the time of the drip. Um, and the baby, he said, the baby's head is sort of wedged on, in your pelvis. It's not, it's not descending. Um, and so I think that was partly why maybe I wasn't um, dilating quickly. Um, and he just sort of, the look on his face, I just, I could just tell he just, he had sort of lost hope maybe that this baby was going to come. And um, so I, I said to him, you know what, just tell it to me straight because I'm exhausted. Um, I'd, I'd sort of had a bout of violent vomiting, which I had thought meant the baby was about to come. And, and then just to find out that it was so far behind where I thought I was. And even the midwives thought that I was about to push. So it was sort of a big backward step. Um, and so he said, look, I said, well, if it was your wife, what would you do? Um, because I knew he had three kids and he said I would probably 
to uh, organise a caesarean, but he said he was willing to let me push for, or try, sorry, not push, um, he was willing to let me continue for another couple of hours and see. But at this point, I was just too weak to make that call. I just thought I can't, I was so tired. I hadn't slept for two nights. Um, so I just, it's just unfortunate. I just sort of said, what would you do? And then went with it. Um, and who knows how it would have unfolded if I'd made different choices. It's, there's no point in sort of thinking that way, I guess. So uh, we, we ended up organising a caesarean there on the spot. And within 15 minutes or so, I was in the theatre. And um, the, so that was really overwhelming. I, I really feel for anyone who sort of gets quickly changed to a caesarean section. It's, it's just... To, to go from feeling like you were somewhat in control to feeling completely out of control is, is I think, one of the hard... That, for me, was one of the hardest parts of the birth. Um, mm. It's just... I think, you know, next time around, if I would always make a plan of... Obviously, caesarean sections can, can definitely be necessary. And I think it's really important, even for first-time mums, to just contemplate that and what that will look like and what a caesarean section looks like. Um, because it's, I think when you're not prepared for it at all, I had no, in my mind, I had no, there was never going to be a cesarean section. I don't know why. I don't know why that was so unbelievable to me. My, my sister and my mum had all had beautiful, you know, uh, uneventful natural births. And so I just had never really thought about it. And um, so they had to top up the epidural. Um, I think it's something like 10 or 15 times the amount. Um, and there's still, I still had some, um, some sensation on my abdomen. Mm -hmm. So they then had to give me a full spinal block on top of all of the epidural. Oh gosh. Um, and yeah, 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 a plethora of drugs. Um, and the spinal block went a bit too high. It went, uh, above, it's only meant to go to your collarbone and it sort of went up into my throat. So I couldn't swallow, which was... Oh. I feel like I need to take a sip of water. I feel like maybe because I'm relieving the yeah. inability to hold on a sec. Yeah, that was really, really awful. That was one of the heart. That was an awful, awful sensation, not being able to swallow. You mm. sort of feel like you're choking in some ways. Um, and so I sort of had this little spit bag that I had to, you know, spit into and all the drugs made me feel so nauseous. Um, and I had... Um, uncontrollable shakes I couldn't um, my body was obviously just <laughs> in complete shock um, and so my hands were just I could barely touch anything it was just they were shaking so badly um, I, I remember I wish I had a more a clear memory of when Xavier was pulled out of me I, I, I have luckily one of the midwives took some photos for us which was really lovely um, and so I have some beautiful photos that sort of helped me with that memory but I, I think I was just too I think I was just really out of it um to try and sort of be really present as they pulled him out and then they sort of lifted him over the sheet um and then took him off for weighing and um I hadn't done any of the sort of delayed cord clamping or requested any of that stuff that I know now that you can um they weighed him and then they wrapped him up and put him on my chest um which was really lovely um, I'm sad I didn't get the immediate skin to skin, but uh, it was still a really lovely moment. He was crying and then he he looked at me and just completely went silent, which Aww. I've heard can be quite, quite um, common. Like they just, it's like they just know. Yeah. And so that was really beautiful. Um, and that's some sort of a memory that I, I think 
I've taken from that is that that was just a really beautiful moment. So, but unfortunately, because I was um, shaking so much, I, they had to take him off me and I, and I felt like I needed to be sick. So um, they sort of had to take him away again and uh, my husband held him. Um, so yeah, I just, that whole birth was, it was not, there was just a lot that was out of my control and I felt very sort of, uh, just with the amount of drugs and the amount of, um, and just with how my body was reacting to those and, you know, and not being able to swallow and, the, and all of those sorts of things. It was a little bit traumatic. Yeah. Um, so, but then we went to recovery and, um, I was really lucky. Xavier sort of from the minute he was born has been interested in feeding. <laughs> so, um, cause I know cesareans and can be affected, uh, can affect breastfeeding. So I was really, really lucky on that front. He just sort of, just sort of took to it. Like the minute she put him on me, she was trying to sort of guide him to the, the nipple and he just sort of chomped down and, and started going. And she went, oh, okay, this is the midwife. She's like, oh, you know, he doesn't need any help at all. And he's just sort of, so that was, I think that was a real blessing because mm. that helped me feel a lot more bonded um, given the birth circumstances. So, yeah. So recovering from that, how did the trauma play out for you um, in the days and weeks that followed? Um, so I think I was on such a high after, by the time we got back to the room, I did feel like I basically felt like I'd been in a car accident. I remember saying that to my husband. I felt, you know, we had the two nights without sleep and then that birth. I felt like what I imagine it would be like to be in a really horrendous accident. My body just felt completely battered, but I was on a real high from Xavier, which was mm -hmm. really beautiful. I was on, I, I've never been into drugs or anything, but I said to my husband, this isn't what I imagine. <laughs> this is what I imagine it's like to be really high. <laughs> like I, I was on cloud nine for those first, I'd say 24 to 48 hours. I said to my husband, if, um, if this is what it's like, I want 10 of them. Like, <laughs> saying that. I was like, oh gosh, now how naive. Um, but I was just on, you know, I was just so in love and could not, I just, I can't describe the high. It was incredible. Um, anyone who's birthed, I'm sure a lot of people feel that. Um, not everyone, obviously, but I felt really lucky. I did feel that. And, but then I would say, um, uh, when my milk came in, maybe three days later, um, I, things sort of started to crash then, um, emotionally. So I was, had, you know, the real sort of blues when my milk came in. I remember just crying one day, sort of set off by a midwife. Um, the majority of the midwives were really beautiful at this hospital. Um, I'd say all of them, but there was just one. I feel like there's always one when I'm listening. There's always to one. There's always one. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like the other midwives probably know. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one um there was just one that sort of you know came in and gave me different information basically made me feel like I was doing a couple of things wrong and oh. she was a bit barky and I was very sensitive and so I just sort of I, I think I, I snapped back at her a little bit and she got she said excuse me and got really annoyed at me I'm like look if a new mother can't bark back at you and you can't hold your own. <laughs> so, um, and then I Good just for you. Good for you for telling <laughs> off because I feel like that is like the most vulnerable time yes. in a woman's life is that immediate postpartum. And if Absolutely. someone comes like, I mean, I had, 
someone being awful to me, but I just sort of took it. So good on you for actually saying something. Well, I think, look, it was sort of a little sarcastic snip back. I wouldn't say I really stood up and advocated for myself, but I... No, no, just take it, take it. (laughs) (laughs) I gave something back. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and just the fact that she got a bit annoyed at me for giving something back was just quite quite hilarious. And then I just sort of, um, I just burst into tears and was so upset I couldn't even speak. And she, I think another anyway long story short a whole bunch of midwives came in there were tissues there was an apology there was <laughs> there was right. a lot of attention for the next next 12 hours or so I think because they um yeah which was nice I think that they sort of uh, realized and hopefully she got a bit of a talking to but um mm. from that point forward I think I yeah I just sort of um that's when I remember the this the tough stuff starting I was in the hospital for five days um I mean I had a few situations where in the middle of the night that my cesarean scar just felt like it was ripping apart I remember one night you know I just needed pain relief (laughs) stat and it was the most horrendous feeling um Mm. so that you know I yeah I cesareans it's yeah it's just I don't know I've I've got it's hard for me not to I've got people in my life who who have chosen them um and I respect every woman birthing woman's choices but I certainly knowing what I know now it's just it's hard I think a lot of people think it's the easier route as well it's so not it's so not yeah I mean there's no easy way to get a baby out of your body is what I say but um I think I think unfortunately and this is something that I guess I'm sort of thinking a lot more about now as I prepare um or think about birth for number two is that I think that there's this especially in the private obstetric settings there's this concept or, or myth that that there's less risk involved in a planned mm. cesarean. Um, yeah. Obviously, a planned cesarean, an emergency cesarean like mine, are, you know, quite different. The recovery is quite different, but um, it's just not the case. So I think I, I really feel that people just aren't informed enough, which is um, really unfortunate. Yeah, I know. I was going to say because I could talk. I mean, I could talk about that topic for hours. Um, yeah. And I, um, I think I agree. I think it's all about. Um, you know, making the choice, but making the choice with all of the information. So, you know, to have an obstetrician say to you, well, this is the least risky choice. I would say like, do you do your research and talk to other people? And because that's actually coming from that medical model of care, it's not thinking about all the other risk factors that are in, like you mentioned, you know, the breastfeeding rates after cesarean yeah. can be affected. Like you sound like you were lucky um, with that. And plenty of people are, but just having a full picture rather than just, yeah. oh, well, from an obst- obstetrician's point of view, it's, it's less risky. It's less risky for them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. But, you know, let's talk about the bigger picture and how things are going to look, <laughs> you know, afterwards yeah. and, um, yeah, it's exactly. definitely not, it's not the easy way out. Like, yeah, there's a really interesting book, um, which I tell everyone to read when they're having a baby called Birth Without Fear. Um, by oh, okay. Rhea Birth I Without, oh that. no, not, not Birth Without Fear, sorry, wrong one. Birth with Confidence by Rhea Dempsey. It's okay. amazing. And she talks a lot about, birth. she talks a lot about um, the labour bypass culture that we have, which is this sort of fear of labour. Um, so this sort of jump to C-station. Anyway, yes. I could talk about this for a long time. And I know, and I could. Do it. I'm, deep, <laughs> I'm deep in VBAC um, 
research at the moment. Oh, so great. I, yeah. I talk about it as well. Um, so yes, back to back to um, sort of recovery and that sort of thing. So yes, we went yeah. home. Um, I I I would say sort of jumping forward, I, I would have I had about two weeks of really what felt for me really intense baby blues. Um, I I would say I cried probably every day. So I kind of came crashing down from that high. And um, I love, like, I really loved Sabi. I just was obsessed with him and, and adored him. But I had all these, so many other things overlaying that love, just feeling, I remember when I got home, obviously we all get really daunted when we put that baby down. The, there's so many um, stories I hear where people just put their baby down in the in the car you know, capsule on the coffee table or something and sit there and think, oh God, what do we do now? And that was definitely us. Um, but I just remember feeling, oh, it's so hard to encapsulate it in, in sort of a few sentences, but I felt so daunted. I felt by what I'd just undertaken. I remember thinking, I, I'm responsible for this child, for his life. I don't know why that thought it's so real when they're in your arms and when they're in front of you. I think, you know, you can embark on parenthood and think, I'm a maternal person. I've always wanted a family. I've always wanted this, Matt. But when I had that child in my arms and when he was in front of me and crying and I just felt so overwhelmed by that responsibility. Um, And I felt as awful as it is to say now, I felt really imprisoned by it. I felt sort of like I, I remember at one point thinking I've made a really terrible decision and I can't this is the first decision in my life that I can't undo and it's really funny like jumping ahead to kind of what have you learned um that that particular I've I thought about that sort of feeling a lot and um, you know being a psych graduate I'm a bit of an overanalyzer <laughs> um yes non-surprisingly and um I thought about that a lot and I think I do feel like parenthood holds a mirror up to your best and worst selves. And I know that that's something that's not an uncommon thing for people to sort of say. And I I think that when I think about that moment, I've always been, and I didn't realize this before, you know, analyzing this, I've always been an avoider of anything that I feel is going to be too hard. I'm a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like with my study, I, I love study because it, you know, it sort of, validate some some perfectionistic part in me where I can you know like I can get good grades and I love all of that and if ever I felt like if ever I felt like study was getting too hard I remember always wanting to take a break or, or maybe it wasn't right for me maybe that's not the right career or maybe you know and so I'm a bit of an avoider and this was the first thing in my life that was the hardest thing the hardest hardest thing and I couldn't run away and yeah. it just terrified me it terrified me I, that I would say terrified is probably not too strong a word to use for how I felt um so I was sort of in this weird space where I really was obsessed with my son I was taking photos of his little fingers and toes and you know I just couldn't get enough of him but at the same time I just felt uh just you know absolutely <laughs> shit scared <laughs> of yeah. what I'd done um and so yeah, I remember, and just crying every day. I thought, when will this end? Is this is this the start of? I remember just googling postnatal depression and and that sort of thing. But at the end of the two weeks, I I did. I remember my first day without tears, and I um, sent my girlfriends a little photo and said that you know this is this is it. This is the first day that I've had without tears. It's amazing, and it felt really good. And then I sort of did okay for a little while. Um, but something I really struggle with, and I know a lot of new mums struggle with, is the hearing, hearing the crying, I, I really struggled with Xavier's crying, especially if I couldn't 
calm it. And I've, I've something that's probably important to note is that I've had anxiety in the past. I've always been, a, always had elements of anxiety since I was a kid. Um, and then some clinical anxiety through my twenties. Um, but before I had Xavier, I was in a really good space. I hadn't really experienced anything for a while, but his, there's something about his crying that just really triggered this sort of tightness in my chest. I felt like I couldn't, oh, I just couldn't breathe. And I felt this buildup of a sort of um, panic almost. And then I would say things got pretty bad around four months, which was, I know, you know, from doing some reading and, and in hindsight, I know that four months can, four or five months can be a bit of a turbulent time. Mm. Um, sleep wise, like he was sleeping worse than he was as a newborn. He was pretty average as a newborn. We were getting, you know, pockets of two to three hours of sleep. Um, but he was a big feeder. So he would feed 12 and 24 hours in the first, you know, um, in the first sort of few weeks, but then the sleep just got really bad um, around four or five months and he was crying a lot. He was very unsettled, not from any sort of colic or any, you know, any obvious reason. He was just unsettled. And I've since um, read some gentle parenting books that have, you know, it's always those books that give you all of that information. You don't find it in too many other spaces, but um, that that's actually a really tough time for babies. Mm -hmm. And they just, they just cry and crying in arms is, is a really normal thing, you know, um, but you do get to this point where you think, well, if they're crying in my arms, what's the difference if I put them down? You know, you just don't know. You feel like you're not doing anything right. And for, you know, a perfectionistic, anxious personality type, um, I think that was just really hard for me and it really triggered um, some, some pretty strong anxious responses. Yeah. Um, yeah, I sort of knew things were probably not great. There was just a few circumstances that sort of, popped up um the first was i don't know what sort of order these were in but it was all around that time um i remember at one point when he was crying and i couldn't calm him i screamed at him which is really hard to even now to think about um but it just it that happened a couple of times especially in the car because there was no escape for me mm. um and I, I just remember thinking i don't know if i thought that that was normal I don't know that that in itself didn't spur me to go get help but I remember feeling horrified afterwards I think you, you go through this sort of panic and then this this outlet of screaming and then you just feel like the worst person in the world mm. um and I remember sitting on the couch with him on my lap and just crying and saying I can't even remember what I said to him something like he deserves much better than this like I just I really really felt like I was just completely failing him which is just awful oh. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to think about. I mean, even now it makes me feel a little bit sad for my, my postpartum yeah. self. Um, and I also had a, something that probably maybe in hindsight didn't help is that my sister went through some similar feelings, but she, I guess it then felt sort of like it was normalised. So she had a really tough time postpartum and we spoke about it much further down the track when I was sort of, I'd overcome um, my postpartum um, issues and she had her baby was like a year old and she said yeah like I, I think I had that as well but I guess she was the closest person to me her boy was um her boy was exactly a year older than mine and they were both our firsts and so we in some ways I guess we normalize things for each other mm. but after a few situations I realized I took myself to a counselor so I um probably the the lowest point well, I called my sister at one point. There was another point where I, I 
I would get quite um, that maternal rage and I'd feel like I wanted to hurt him. Um, and there was one circumstance where I just felt it so strongly that I called my sister and asked her to come over. She lived, luckily, she only lived five minutes from me um, mm. because my husband was away at the time. So um, she, thank God, she was so close and able to to come over. And, and one thing that I would say, again, jumping forward to things I've learned, um, one thing that I would say to any new mum is just ha like have someone to call. You never want to think that you're going to be in that circumstance where you are feeling those things or that, you know, it's so hard to even think about before you have kids that you would ever feel that way. But I would say as a backup plan, always have someone like who are you going to call? Cause if you don't yeah, have family absolutely. nearby. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just to give you that, I mean, and again, you know, you can put the baby down in a cot and um, that if you didn't have Emma, that I just, I just felt like I needed someone there, I think. So um, she came around and, and that was a really tough experience as, as well. And then I think when the, the real breaking point was I had a night where I'd gone up to my parents. They live up in Mullaney in, in kind of Sunshine Coast hinterland here in Queensland, um, about an hour away. And I went up there for a few nights and um, this was again, still around that four or five month mark where he just wasn't sleeping. I was exhausted. I think my husband was, he used to be away for work a lot, um, which he's not now, but at the time that was really hard. And I think I was just fatigued from all of the wakings and my anxiety was getting worse. And he, I put Xavier to bed and he woke up like half an hour later, just crying. And I just lost it. I couldn't calm him. I was exhausted. I just felt like I had nothing left. And I remember grabbing his dummy and just throwing it against a wall and yelling. And mum and dad, it's, you know, it's hard to, to do. Well, just the fact that I was did that with my mum and dad in the house as well. Like I just was completely at rock bottom. And they sort of mum rushed in and she took him. And I think my mum, unfortunately, my mum's not someone who is, not many people are well versed in, in dealing with mental health conditions and that sort of thing. And her response was just to take the baby and give me a minute. But I think okay. the way that it felt was that in my mind, which because I was in a very dark place was I need to take the baby away from you. Mm. And, and then I was left. So she sort of took the baby into her room and I was left in Hello. this other room by myself with, you know, in my darkest, darkest moment. Um, oh God. So that was, yeah, that was really, really hard because, yeah. you know, you can just, you can just imagine the sort of thoughts that were going through my head of what sort of mother I was. Yeah. So um, obviously at that point, that was, that was definitely the lowest point. Um, and I had in that moment in that room with my mum sort of having taken my son, um, I just, yeah, I just felt so, I just felt completely at the bottom. Um, I was having some, in that moment, I uh, was having some suicidal ideations about, just thinking, well, this is just, there's no point. Um, it's, it's, it's still hard to talk about. It's, it's, you know, and I really, truly, I just feel for any mother that ever gets to that point. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of when, uh, I guess the, the feelings of, feelings of wanting to end things was when I thought, okay, this is just not, you know, this is, this is not normal. 
um, in, in not saying that it's not abnormal, but it's not, it's not. No, you had the self, you had the self-awareness to go, okay, this, this yeah. should be happening. Yeah. And it had been building to that point. And I think I'd been trying to just tell myself that it would, it would be okay. You know, I was just, things would get better and I, but it had been building. And I think in hindsight, if so, if I could go back in time or if I could tell any mother that's obviously listening, that is having any sort of moments that are scaring her or just to get help. Because it, I think there's just this, unfortunately, especially as a new mum, when you think you should have it all together and all you ever see is other mothers who have it all together. Um, just the, the thought of going and telling someone about those thoughts or, or telling someone that you're not coping is just really hard. It's really, really hard. So hard and scary, right? Because there's the idea that, well, if I, you know, what if the baby gets taken away or, you know, like I remember having um, some, just feeling really, really low at one point and being like, well, if I, I don't, I don't really want to, to, explain how fully I feel because I'm worried that the baby will be taken away, which yeah. is not what happens. But um, no, I no, think in that moment, it's that there is a lot of fear there as well. Yeah, definitely. And you're not thinking rationally. You're not thinking mm. about the fact that, you know, babies don't get taken off their mothers just for having thoughts. But, um, and I certainly never did anything to Xavier. I never did anything with those thoughts, but um luckily because I, I got the help before, but you really can see how things can escalate from others. Yeah. Um, so I went to, I'm really lucky. I'm especially having studied psych. I really know, I really understand that it's so important to find someone who clicks with you because mm. for me, I had through my twenties, I had kind of gone to some psychs um, and they just never really clicked. And so, which feeds back into, I guess what we're going to discuss, but I never really then resolved anything from my twenties that then was playing into what was happening to some extent, uh, in my postpartum. So I was just really lucky. I have a great GP and she recommended, um, a really beautiful counseling service, um, not too far from me that specialized in, they they were mostly women. They specialized in postpartum or the, the lady that she referred me to specialized in postpartum sort of support. And she actually was a social worker, a counselor, social worker. And I think that that, um, in some ways really suited me because sometimes not always, but sometimes psychologists can be a bit more clinical, um, and not as sort of soft and nurturing. And, um, that's, that's a generalization. I certainly don't think that about all, all psychologists. It really depends on who you see, but this, this social worker was really, um, you know, she called me lovely (laughs) And darling, which is something I would normally hate, <laughs> but I would normally find that really patronizing. Um, but she was, I think in this setting, it was very maternal and it felt really lovely to have someone sort of nurture me. Um, and that was really necessary. Um, are you still there, Naomi? I am. Yep. Oh, sorry. You were very quiet and I just wanted to oh, double no, check. Just- just hopefully, hopefully you can edit that part out. <laughs> um, yeah, so she she was um, she was great, and so I really um, I think I struck it lucky finding the right person straight off the bat, and then funnily enough, I would say within you know one or two sessions, I started talking to her about something that had happened to me in my early twenties, and this this um, incident that had happened to me 
was something that had been coming up for me outside of all of the parenting and the postpartum. It was something that was sort of popping up a lot. So in my early twenties, I had been in a uh, very sort of toxic relationship with um, for about a year on and off with a colleague um, who was really, you know, if we're putting it bluntly, my boss. Um, and this was when I was working as an interior designer in a small, it was a really small company. And um, he was sort of a very charming person and, and um, in hindsight, probably a bit of a predator. And so I had a, a sort of on-off relationship with him and there were some very questionable incidences in that relationship. Right. And they almost always involved, I would say, some level of substance. So just alcohol for me, which is something... I just don't drink a lot. I'm not someone who drinks a lot, but um, I don't, I'm just trying to put this gently because I certainly don't want to trigger anyone. I it was I wasn't really particularly conscious for a lot of what had happened, um, and there was just one particular incident that really stuck in my mind mm -hmm. that I sort of played out a lot then through my twenties mentally, um, but. I'm, I really just shut it down with my mind. I sort of, my body knew what had happened. I think my heart mm -hmm. knew, but my head just went, no, that's not what happened. You're, you're making things up, you know, and he was sort of being the predator that he was. He was sort of saying, yeah, that's not what happened. You're making things up. Like, so I sort of got a bit gaslighted and then that just being an anxious person, I just sort of questioned myself. And then through my twenties, you know, a, a whole heap of, that was, it was just, it's so obvious now my body was screaming at me. Um, you know, I ended up with digestive problems. I ended up with all of these, you know, I started getting panic attacks. All these sorts of things happened through my, dotted through my 20s that um, was just me struggling to comprehend what had sort of gone on in that, in that relationship. Yeah. Um, and probably needing to validate for myself what had gone on, but I wasn't, I just... I don't know. I wasn't, that's, again, that's a, probably a whole other conversation about, about that. But um, so when I went to the counsellor, I started talking about this particular incident that was, had been in my mind since, and this was like 10 years later. Mm -hmm. um, and because I'd never, I'd never really dealt with it. I, like I said, I'd been to some student counsellors because of back in my twenties, finances were a thing. Um, I had been to, um, some just a few people that just sort of maybe hinted at what had gone on, but I never really felt like I'd fully accepted it, mm. um, validated it for myself and healed from it. So mm. it was still very open. Um, and when I went to her, this counsellor, I sort of, it came up and I sort of spoke to her about, it was like I was back there. She said, when you're telling me about this, it's like you're right back there. And mm. She's, she was sort of saying, I can feel like I'm there with you. And she actually, like, she was such a lifesaver. She said to me something, she said something along the lines of the body keeps score. And I didn't, I sort of, that sort of stuck in my mind. I didn't really know. And we explored that through the next few sessions. And she was basically saying that, it's just such a complicated topic. I'm trying to figure out how best to, to describe it. But she was saying that when you're, body experiences a trauma, whether it be a sexual trauma or, you know, any other type of, um, any other type of trauma, it, it holds on to it physically. Um, and there's a book, there's a wonderful book called the body keeps a score, which is obviously where she got that, that saying from and it's incredibly data rich. And I started reading it at a point when I probably wasn't, um, 
as willing to commit. So I'm, I want to go back to it. But um, basically, this researcher has, has done um, all this research into how our bodies hold on to physical trauma. And she sort of linked it back to the birth and said that what what I had gone through with the birth and the being completely out of control, um, being, you know, for the most part from the, from the neck down unconscious, yeah. um, feeling like things were being done to you just had triggered this, this trauma that had, that I had experienced in my early twenties. Wow. And so, yeah, yeah, it was huge. It was, uh, you know, I mean, I, I still see that same counselor and, we recently were talking and I just said, you have no idea. <laughs> like just to have someone, I don't know if any other count, like I'm sure other counselors would have sort of made that link, but I just feel like it was really incredible that she was able to kind of help me get there. Um, yeah, it was just, so she, she was just sort of explaining how your mind can kind of be thinking one thing and you can be thinking that you've, you know, dealt with things and moved on, but, your body can really hold on to uh, a trauma memory. Yeah. And so, yeah, the birth, um, she sort of helped me link that back to the birth and that then sort of fed into my postpartum, I guess. And, and really, uh, who knows if I would have had postpartum anxiety um, had I not had that link and that experience, but, um, and, and who knows if it was caused specifically by that prior trauma, but, I think definitely the intensity, the panic, all of those things. She just had a really great way of explaining um, how my body was just trying to cope. And um, yeah, I, it was a huge, huge isn't moment for me. Interesting, Isn't it so interesting how the body just, know, and when you were just talking about digestive issues and panic attacks, it's so, mm. you know, they call the stomach the second brain. Yeah. Um, you know, and that we talk about gut instinct all the time and we talk about it a lot in yeah. terms of birth and motherhood and wow, yeah. it's all so tied together, isn't it? It is. So I, I would say it would have been maybe a year or two after I experienced this, this, um, assault in, so, you know, maybe early to mid twenties, um, I started getting like the IBS was so bad and I couldn't. No, no one could tell me what was causing it. I had all the tests. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so it was just like my body just sort of saying something's not right. Yeah. Um, and then, it, and I think I've since learned that emotional, I think emotional trauma can lead to like IBS is very common in people who are carrying emotional burden. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, then panic attacks and I got put on, you know, SSRIs. Uh, yeah. So the antidepressants for anyone who doesn't know what that, that is. Um, and, you know, again, that comes with its own, um, it's a bit of a, I, I'm not anti-medication, uh, but in my circumstance, um, I think anyone in my circumstances, it's probably very important that you have some talk therapy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was just kind of masking it. And then, and then when I got together with my partner, I explained to him what had happened. And I think that was one step in healing. But then I think Xavier's birth just sort of, I think it, in some ways it's really beautiful. I think his birth just sort of cracked me open in a way that is still pretty horrifying to talk about, but it's, it's, I think it's really healing as well. And I, I think it's just one of the ways how, you know, our children 
really do <laughs> teach us. Like, I think they just put us in, yeah, motherhood. I think motherhood just cracks you open. And so if there is, you know, a circumstance from your past that you, that you are burying or that you maybe haven't put to bed, especially if it's a physical trauma, um, mm. I think, um, unfortunately, but, you know, in the end, it's, it's fortunate. It will come up. Yeah. If you and believe, hopefully, if people deal with it in the right way or or seek help when you know early, I think it's it's obviously it can be yeah. really healing. But it's it's yeah. sad. I do think it's sad that it had to come at the cost of probably those early days and months of my postpartum. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's interesting because I've also read theories around not necessarily around trauma, but this idea that you can either sort of do the work in pregnancy (laughs) or it's going to, you're going to have to do it in birth and not just, I mean, not just the physical work, but like the mental stuff um, and the psychology, the psychological stuff, or you do it in postpartum. Like there's no kind of avoiding it. It's going to come up at some point. Um, You can't keep running away from it when you're, um, when you're going through such a massive transformation. Um, And so it's so interesting to hear you talk about that. Um, so how are you, how are you these days? Where are you at? Yeah, really good. Look, I, I, I've always found parenting a bit of a challenge. I have to say, um, I, oh, I don't know if there's anyone who doesn't, doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because I felt, I do feel like I kind of projected my early days experiences a little bit, um, unintendingly and like I didn't mean to, but, um, to a couple of my best friends who were about to have their babies. And it was more just sort of like, look, things might not look the way that, you know, just trying to prepare them without sort of scaring them but they actually took it really beautifully and I think that in itself was another sort of emotional hurdle for me um that I just realized that my circumstances weren't necessarily normal so it's taken Mm. it's definitely even though I did the work with the counselor and we sort of spent I would say maybe six months working together and then I've still kept in touch um you know we we have the occasional session um I, and we, I certainly plan to have sessions with her again in the lead up to this birth. Mm. Um, I, I still, it's taken me, I would say, you know, it took me a couple of years to really process it, at, you know, and I, I think it's just an ongoing thing. You just keep at deeper levels, things just yeah. keep getting processed. But yeah. Um, yeah, seeing that, you know, a couple of my closest friends were, um, obviously they still had their struggles. No mother doesn't, but they were really enjoying their postpartum for the most part. Um, that was another sort of wave of grief for me um, mm. because you just sort of think, oh, okay, <laughs> maybe mine wasn't. So now I'm very conscious of not, you know, it's hard to walk this line of being realistic with new mums and trying to mm. prepare them but also not scaring them and projecting because we've all got our own our own experiences. Um, but I'm, I'm very much, um, like I wouldn't have been able to talk about this beforehand and even now yeah. it's still... I still feel a little bit teary when I think about it. So I think it's just going to be an ongoing, an ongoing thing, but I'm, I would not have been able to speak about this probably with it over a year ago. Um, I would say in the last year, it's definitely sort of um, healed a lot. And I don't think funnily enough, and this is just goes to show that your body keeps the score. I don't think about that. What happened to me anymore, really? I just Mm. don't. It's just something that before that, before all of this happened, I thought about it all the time. It would just pop up like PTSD, I guess, I guess that's effectively PTSD. It's just, yeah. it would just flash in your memory and you get all these feelings and, you know, um, because I hadn't dealt with it. And I think this, you know, this whole experience and, um, 
and getting the right help has just really in a lot of ways put it to bed as much as it can possibly be put to bed um so yeah i'm much better and i think being pregnant now with number two even though i'm kind of just early days um i'm already looking ahead to the birth and postpartum and um you know i really want regardless of whether i end up having a cesarean um or you know i'm hoping for a v-back but I'm preparing myself for an ending in cesarean and I just want to be a really active member of this birth, regardless of how, what the outcome is, which is just what triggered me last time was just that I just wasn't, I didn't feel active in it yep. towards the end. I felt so out of control and yep. I've actually been, you know, just in the last couple of days been thinking about, I hadn't planned on talking to my obstetrician about the, the sort of emotional element of my last birth, but I, just in the last couple of days, I've been thinking maybe I do touch on it in a very sort of matter of fact way. Maybe I just explain to him, this is what happened for me and this is how it ended sort of postpartum. And this is why, you know, just for him to understand where I'm coming from, because I may seem a little bit more uh, maybe anxious or just for him to kind of get that better understanding of, of where I'm coming from this time around. Um, and why for you, that's going to be all part of that um, new embracing of, um, you know, advocating for yourself and yeah. you know that that might even be part of the healing process for you. Yes. It's been really uncomfortable. It's funny. We actually had an appointment with him a couple of days ago and my husband was doing a lot of the talking advocating for me. And I yeah. walked out and I, which I appreciate because he knows that I really struggle. I'm such a people pleaser. I find it really hard to say anything that might come across confrontational and, you know, and I just, I really need to get through that, this pregnancy. I think this pregnancy is probably going to be, that's going to be my biggest learning curve, but that's um, the work, yeah. yeah, that's the work this time around. Um, but I think it's important for me um, probably to explain, explain and, and sort of be able to step up and say, you know, and again, that's another thing that just takes the power away from that incident that happened, you know, yeah. I think, and then and then takes the power away from from any potential birth birthing hiccups you know to be able to say it put it out on the table and say this is this was my experience this is why i i um am going to be asking questions from the get-go this time rather than have him think oh maybe she's just a really anxious mom i mean i think it just gives people people are a lot more compassionate when there's when you yeah. give them sort of background reasons. So well, I think um, as well, you know, with any care provider, whether you choose to have an obstetrician or a midwife or, you know, a doula or whoever's supporting you, that's all part of the trust process, isn't it? It's like you're, you're forming is. a relationship with them. Yeah. Continuity of care from them is coming from a place where they get, they have the full picture of, of what's happening for you and what has happened for you. So oh, Jess, thank you so much for sharing with, I know it's not, an easy thing to talk about. And I'm just so grateful that you have been willing to talk about it to me because I feel like so many people are going to benefit from hearing from your experience. So thank you so much. Thank you, Naomi. And thank you for allowing me to and, and providing the platform for mums to hear these stories. I unfortunately only discovered your, um, well, not unfortunately, but I discovered your um, podcast at one year postpartum I think it was pretty new then um and I just was like oh I just wish I'd, I'd had access to this um in the early days but I still you know I still continue to listen um and I just think it's so invaluable for mums to just be able to listen to other people like the huge variety of of experiences and yeah. um yeah and I I it's this is something that I have not it's 
it's not something that in mum's groups speak about. No one really talks about, yeah. hey, I had yeah. this prior trauma. And and so I think um, I really appreciate you listening to me and hearing my story so that it's something I've sort of been seeking, trying to find other stories, but it's just, it's not something you really hear much about because people, you know, it's pretty raw and, and hard to talk yeah, about. Yeah, no, it's hard. But I think, you know, storytelling is medicine for both the storyteller and for the people who are listening. So absolutely, thank you so much. And I can't wait to hear about the empowered pregnancy and birth and postpartum that's yeah. coming away. Yes, I have fingers yeah. crossed that that's how it eventuates. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jess. Thank you so much for listening to Tales from the Fourth Trimester. I appreciate each and every one of you who listens, shares, rates and reviews and does all of those things, tells a friend the works. Um, If you'd like to connect with me, you can head on over to Instagram or Facebook at Cocoon by Naomi is where you can find me. You can head to my website, which is www.cocoonbynaomi.com. Thanks and see you next week. (music) 